Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host Simon Skidmore. Throughout the current series we have explored the Book of Numbers through the lens of mimetic theory. In the last episode we saw the people of Israel lose their focus on the promised land as they attempt to make peace with the people of Midian. They intermarried with the Midianites and forsook the lord of mimetic rivalry to worship the storm god Baal. These developments break down the unique tribal identifiers between the Israelites and the Midianites and produce a lack of differentiation between these two people groups. The lack of differentiation leads to a mimetic crisis as everyone imitates everyone else. As the community search for a scapegoat to blame for the crisis, Phinehas assigns blame to a high-profile royal couple. Having convinced the community of their guilt, Phinehas enters the newlyweds' marital tent and thrusts a spear through their torsos. By these means, Phinehas halts the mimetic crisis. In the aftermath, the Lord describes the Midianites as cunning, deceptive foes who beguiled the poor, innocent Israelites. This portrait is important because it demonstrates a renewed focus upon the promised land. As the community refocus their desire upon the promised land, they begin to view the Midianites as an obstacle to that desire. Through this process, the Israelites come to view their Midianite rivals as evil, deceitful, monstrous doubles who must be destroyed at all costs. We pick up the narrative in Numbers chapter 31 where we see the Israelites wage war upon their Midianite doubles. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance upon Midian. You shall send a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel to the war. So they were provided out of thousands of Israel, a thousand from each tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand from each tribe together with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the vessels of the sanctuary and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand. They warred against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. And the people of Israel took captive the women of Midian and their little ones, and they took as plunder all their cattle, their flocks, and all their gods. All their cities in the places where they lived and all their encampments they burned with fire, and took all the spoil and all the plunder, both of man and of beast. Then they brought the captives and the plunder and the spoil to Moses, and to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the people of Israel at the camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the chiefs of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was very angry with the officers of the army and the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds who had come from service in the war. Moses said to them, Have you let all the women live? Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, called the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. 
Now therefore kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman who has known a man by lying with him. But all the young girls who have not known men by lying with them, keep alive for yourselves. In camp outside the camp seven days. Whoever of you has killed any person and whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. You shall purify every garment, every article of skin, all work of goat's hair and every article of wood. The Lord said to Moses, Take the count of the plunder that has been taken, both of the man and of the beast, you and Eleazar, the priest and the heads of the fathers' houses of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts between the warriors who went out to the battle and all the congregation, and levy for the Lord a tribute from the men of war who went out to battle, one out of five hundred of the people and of the oxen and of the donkeys and of the flocks." Take it from their half and give it to Eleazar the priest as a contribution to the Lord. And from the people of Israel's half you shall take one drawn out of every fifty, of the people, of the oxen, of the donkeys, and of the flocks, and of the cattle, and give them to the Levites who guard over the tabernacle of the Lord. And Moses and Eleazar did as the Lord commanded Moses. The people of Israel destroy their rivals, but Moses is still not satisfied. He rebukes the community for allowing the Midianite woman to live because he blames them as the cause of the crisis. At first glance, it appears that Moses demands complete obliteration of the Midianites. Yet he commands the people to spare the lives of the Midianite female virgins. Why? because the Midianite virgins were not involved in Israel's seduction. Moses identifies the Midianite females who seduced Israelite men as scapegoats, as he blames them for the crisis. Following the logic of the scapegoat mechanism, if Israel can execute these malefactors, the mimetic crisis will be halted. However, the Israelites' reluctance to execute the Midianite women allows the crisis to continue which culminates in the complete destruction of Midian. Only the female Midianite virgins are spared and kidnapped as slaves. Often in the ancient Near East, a conquering army would take female virgins captive as trophies. In this passage, the Israelite people do exactly that while destroying everything else. But this detail raises an interesting question. If the people's interaction with the Midianite women were really the original cause of the crisis, why would the community capture and use the Midianite women as slaves? I think this question exposes the arbitrary and at times inconsistent nature of the scapegoat mechanism. Although Moses blamed the crisis upon the Midianite women, the real cause was the community's abandonment of a common desired object. The community's desire for the promised land of Canaan united the people around a common desire and purpose. When the Israelite people forsook this desire and made peace with the Midianites, their mimetic rivalry was no longer directed outwards against an external enemy, but remained and festered within the community. In our passage, Moses inspires the Israelites to band together and vent their collective rivalries upon their Midianite neighbours. In so doing, the Midianites are completely destroyed and the Israelites integrate the Midianite virgins into their community. 
It is unlikely that these slaves will generate another crisis because of their lower social status and standing, which means they cannot engage in any sort of meaningful rivalry with normal Israelite citizens. In fact, their inferior status coupled with their identity as foreigners sets these slaves apart and identifies them as potential future scapegoats in waiting. Having destroyed the Midianites, Moses commands the people to purify themselves and their loot. Moses fears that the anathema attached to their Midianite rivals may somehow cling to the possessions they have acquired. As we mentioned before, mimetic violence has the power to both purify and defile. To purify their loot, the Israelites must cleanse it with fire. As we have seen throughout the Pentateuch, fire is a common image for the primitive sacred. In a sense, burning objects with fire reenacts the sacred violence with which they are originally seized, that is, the war upon Midian. Whatever would be destroyed by fire is washed with water, which is the power to quench fire. Perhaps this function of water identifies it as a means of appeasing the primitive sacred's wrath. Once the warrior's clothing and loot have been cleansed, they must wait seven days before entering the camp, a period of time commonly seen in biblical cleansing rituals. We talked about Israel's 40-year journey through the wilderness as a liminal period which they must survive and navigate. The seven days isolation in cleansing rituals is also a liminal period. The subject must negotiate. This period of isolation reminds us of the liminal period of isolation endured by potential COVID-19 positive patients in our day. Once these people have survived the virus and undergone their dangerous, tortuous isolation, they are then reintegrated back into normal society. Bypassing this process poses a risk of transmitting danger to the rest of the community. In a similar means, by undergoing these rites of purification, the ancient people, these Israelites, would cleanse themselves and their loot from any divine wrath associated with their former scapegoat owners. When the loot is divided, some is dedicated to the Lord and the rest is shared among the people, warriors and the Levites. This sharing is important because it emphasizes the community's common identity. Everyone is part of the community and therefore everyone shares in the profit, whether they fought, stayed home or helped secure victory by managing the primitive sacred. As we read on in chapter 32, we see that this victory secures a slice of the promised land for the tribes of Reuben and Gad who settle on west side of the Jordan in Gilead. Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, there was a place for their livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to his chiefs of the congregation, Ataroth, Dibon, Nazar, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eleela, Sebom, Nebo, and Beon. The land that the Lord struck before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, If we have found favour in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. But Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? 
Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given to them? Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For they went up to the valley of Eshkol and they saw the land. They discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. None except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for forty years, until all that generation had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and was gone. And behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will again abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all this people." They came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms, ready to go before the people of Israel, until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes each of his own people of Israel has gained for his inheritance. We will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. So Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will take up arms and go before the Lord of the war, and everyone armed of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that you shall return and be free from obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep, and do what you have promised. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben said to Moses, Your servants will do as the Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over. Every man who is armed for war before the Lord to battle, as my Lord orders. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, every man who is armed to battle before the Lord will pass with you over the Jordan, and the land shall become subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. However, if they will not pass over with you armed, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben answered, What the Lord has said to your servants we will do. We will pass over arm before the Lord in the land of Canaan, and the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us beyond the Jordan. Moses gave to them, to the people of Gad, and to the people of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land and its cities with their territories, and the cities of the land throughout the country. And the people of Gad built Dibon, Ataroth, Erorah, Atroth Shofan, Jazer, Jogbeha, Beth Nimrah, and Beth Haran, 
fortified cities and folds for sheep. And the people of Reuben rebuilt Heshbon, Elela, Kiriathium, Nebo, and Balmeon. Their names were changed. And Sibma. And they gave other names to the cities that they built. And the names of Machir, son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and captured it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. And Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he settled in it. And Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and captured their villages and called them Havoth Jair. And Nobah went and captured Kenath and its villages and called it Nobah after his own name. Moses challenges Reuben and Gad's decision to settle on the east side of the Jordan. He becomes concerned that Reuben and Gad have given up their desire for the promised land. Having warned them about losing focus upon the land of Canaan like their fathers did in the wilderness, Moses then commands Reuben and Gad to cross the Jordan River and fight with their fellow Israelites. When they agree to join their brothers in arms, Moses is satisfied. The problem is not geography, it's not one of whether Reuben and Gad can settle on the east or the west of the Jordan. But the real problem is the potential threat that this move poses to their identity as Israelites. Moses is concerned that once Reuben and Gad settle to the east of the Jordan, they will abandon their fellow Israelites and become yet another Canaanite people group to conquer. But when Reuben and Gad agree to uphold their alliance and fight alongside the other Israelite tribes, Moses' fears are calmed. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.